If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. We're glad that you're here uh, this weekend and hope that you'll just kind of sit back and allow God to just kind of pour in. We've got a whole bunch of people still trying to get in the door. And so ushers, we're kind of working up into the, you're going to have to move them to the front row. I know that's terrible, but we're glad that they can come and be a part of what we're doing. As they're finding their seats, I'll let you know, um, I actually just got off Skype um, with the team from Tanzania. It's about, uh, well, it's 11.16 p.m. in Tanzania right now. The team's on the ground there and uh, was up in my office and all of a sudden my kid popped up on the screen halfway around the world and the team is doing fantastic. Um, God is using them and they're working through them. They start the medical clinics with Masailand. Um, are out in Masailand in the coming days, and uh, I'll actually be taken off this Wednesday at midnight. I'm going to be on the ground in Africa for 96 hours and then turning around, coming right back home again. It's going to be kind of crazy, but we're going to be baptizing a Maasai chief who's given his heart to Christ in Tanzania, and that's pretty exciting. And uh, so we're excited about the opportunity to be there, and uh, we'll see what God's got for us. Luke chapter 8 verse 39 is a very, very profound but often overlooked verse in Scripture. I ran into it in my quiet time about a week and a half ago. Then I heard it in a message that my friend Pete Briscoe from Bentree Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas preached. And then one of my intercessors sent it to me just as I arrived back home from a little vacation. And so I figured if God tried to point it out three times, I should probably get a clue. Because in Luke chapter 8 39, it says this, return home And tell how much God has done for you. Well, that's pretty simple. It seems like good marching orders. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about this weekend. I've come home from a little vacation, and I'd just like to tell you how much God has done for me. We're going to rewind the clock a little bit. Two summers ago, I was in a very bad place. Unless you're a very close friend or or you're my wife, you probably didn't even notice. But I was struggling desperately. I was dancing on the edge of depression and burnout. Yeah, I said the D word, don't let it freak you out. My prayers had grown silent, my tears had dried up, my heart was cold. I knew I was in trouble trouble because I stopped crying. And those of you who know me know that should be an indicator. I stopped crying and I stopped caring. People became an inconvenience and I was just kind of subtly mad at God. Mad because I couldn't feel Him like I once had. Mad because I, I had prayers that were going unanswered for long periods of time. Mad because I asked Him for help to kind of break me out of this, the, this thing that I found myself stuck in. And all I seemed to get back was silence. A friend of mine kept begging me to go to a camp that he had been to with his kids. A place called J.H. Ranch. I didn't want to go to camp, Okay. I've been a youth pastor for more than 10 years. I'm all camped and retreated out. I've got enough camp t-shirts to open my own Walmart. I mean, it's that bad. I mean, I didn't want to go, but he kept talking about this father-son thing and how good it would be to give Braden one week of my undivided attention. And I'm so unbelievably grateful for camping type ministries. We are so blessed to have a place like Furwood right in our backyard. And there's just something about taking a week and going away, but I was just battling it with everything that I had and The bottom line is my friend loved me enough, he made it impossible for me to say no, and so we went. And when I got to California, I knew God was setting me up. Braden and I went to J.H. Ranch two summers ago, and I got into a head-on collision with God. And the collision happened because of this confession. I have always struggled with the idea that God could love me. I think it's a pastoral thing, because every pastor I know seems to struggle with it at some level. 
I believe theologically God has plenty of love for all of you, but personally, way down deep in my soul, I've always struggled with the concept that God's love could become personal for me. I would read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and I'd be so happy that all of you fit into the world category, but somewhere down in the bottom of my soul, I always find, seem to find an escape clause for myself. So Brayden and I went through this week together and I watched in awe as God did some amazing things in my relationship with my son. I was blown away. I learned so much. But in this one particular area of letting God love me, I just kind of held out. My struggle with God came to a head one night when the worship leader sang a song that just made me angry. Just for the record, when you're denying God's love, everything bugs you. Everything bugs you. It just drives you nuts. And that particular night, this worship leader named Ronnie Freeman got up and he started to sing a song. Some of you will recognize it because we sing it here at Christ the King. I just didn't want to hear it. He is jealous for me. Love's like a a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so, how he loves us, how he loves us so. We sang it and I got sad, sad, and then mad. The song goes on. We are his portion and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the look in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. When heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I just think about the way that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us. So the more they sang it, the more angry I got. I was offended by it. A sloppy wet kiss? That's gross. I'm a guy. I shake hands. I hug occasionally with guys that I know are good friends. I mean, sloppy wet kiss? That's disgusting. Just so you know, when that uh, song was originally written, so many people were offended by that line, sloppy wet kiss, because of how it made them felt. They actually rewrote the lyrics to make everybody feel a little more comfortable. They changed the lyrics to an unforeseen kiss. Can I tell you something? Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. We get that? Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right because there's something unbelievably awkward about the love of God that just comes in and kind of crowds in on you and you don't really know how to handle it and that's exactly the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, in the story of the prodigal son, There's a story of a dad whose son runs away and goes and does his own thing. And the dad goes and watches every single day on the horizon to see whether or not his boy's going to come home. And when his son actually crosses the horizon, the Bible says that the dad loses all dignity and runs like a wild, crazy, stupid man towards his boy. And when he gets close to him, he puts out his hand and says, welcome home, son. (laughs) Now what your Bible says? He ran up and gave him uh, a nice double tap man hug. Glad to have you home. It's not what he says. That father is so unbelievably moved by the fact that his son comes home. It says he kisses him, whether you like it or not. It's a sloppy, wet, welcome home kiss. And if you're offended, good. Because that's what scripture says. 
God was trying to kiss me at JH Ranch. That freaks some of you out. I say good because it means you're struggling with the same thing that I've been struggling with for three years. It's so good to have company on my journey with me. All right? Welcome on board. At the end of the song, they invite us to come up to a set of hay bales they placed across the front that have just kind of made an altar up there, and I should have gone, but I didn't. I didn't. I had two reasons why I didn't have to go to the hay bales. Number one, I am a pastor, and number two, I have hay fever. All right? So I'm out. I went home closer to Braden than I've ever been, but further from God than I've ever felt. My struggle was crystallized with this question. Why do I distance myself from a God who faithfully and consistently responds in love? There are two reasons why I do it, and there are two reasons why you do it, if you're honest enough to be transparent. The number one reason is I don't really trust him. I say I trust him, and I preach that I trust him, but the reality is I don't really trust him. And the second reason is because I don't really believe that he loves me. Because if I absolutely believed that he loved me, there is nothing that I would not be able to do because I would ultimately know that I could trust God. If you struggle with trusting God last week or the week before that or in the last month or in the last year, if you've ever struggled with trusting God, the reason is it's because you don't really believe he loves you. You just don't believe it. Let's fast forward one year to last summer. Last summer, I took a break from ministry for the first time in 22 years. The church so graciously gave me six weeks away, and as I went away, I struggled spiritually. I sat in my backyard. I preached a whole message about this last summer on this same weekend one year ago. I told you that I I sat in my backyard. I worked on a backyard project, and I just tried to sweat some stuff out of my system by working really, really hard. And as often happens with me, God pulled up a rock beside me in my backyard, and he asked me a question. Grant, do you love me? You remember how I answered the question? I gave him my resume. How can you even ask if I love you? Look at all this stuff that I've done. 22 years of my life pouring itself out, doing everything I can to try and help people point towards Jesus. God, that just kind of ticks me off that you would even ask that question. I've, I've learned something. Whenever you throw your resume in front of God, he gets very, very quiet. And he was quiet for a long time, and then he asked me a follow-up question. Have you ever fully allowed me to love you? The answer was no. And my struggle with Jesus loves me was intensifying. I came back to work feeling physically and and emotionally refreshed and rested. I jumped in with both feet, but the nagging question of God's love would not go away. And then last week happened. Last week, I went back to J.H. Ranch again with my daughter, McKenna. I spent a week giving my son my undivided attention. I wanted to do the same for my little girl. I couldn't wait time to spend time with her. and, And I knew I was in trouble the second we got to the airport. Last Sunday morning at 5 a.m., we were at the Bellingham Airport, and and we took a 5 a.m. flight and got into Seattle at 5.32 a.m. Nobody is even breathing at 5.32 a.m. I believe if God wanted us to enjoy morning, he would have put it later in the day. I mean, it's, it's just evil to have to get up at that time to catch a flight. And it's 5.32, and we're sitting at SeaTac, and, and McKenna fell asleep on my shoulder. And she was kind of going back and forth between being asleep and being awake. And and something tumbled out of her mouth that she says on a fairly regular basis, even though I don't deserve it. 
She said, I love you, Daddy. Just kill me. My heart was so full of love for her in that moment, but as I'm having that moment with my little girl falling asleep on my shoulder, I look across the waiting room, and there's a dad with a two-year-old. And he's trying to get that two-year-old to calm down and enjoy life at 5.32 a.m. It cannot be done, okay? That kid is not a morning person, I'll tell you that from experience. And he's trying to pull this little guy into his lap. He's trying to console him. He's trying to comfort him. But he does, this little guy was doing what most two-year-olds do when they didn't want to be loved in that particular moment. Parents, you've experienced this. You're trying to make your kid kind of fold in half in your lap and they're doing their best impression of a plank and they will not be bent in the middle, you know? And so he's like, I don't know what to do with this kid, you know? My warm, fuzzy, little I love you daddy moment was rocked by the realization that I was not like my daughter in regards to Jesus, but that I was very much like that angry little two-year-old. You don't get to love me. You don't get to hug me. You don't get to hold me because for some reason down in the bottom of my heart, I'm struggling. God was setting me up on our way to J.H. Ranch again. On Tuesday night, the speaker was speaking about the love of God, but this year I was ready. It's the same talks they do every year, every single week. They've got them down to a sweet science, and I knew what she was going to say, and so I came prepared. Had my defenses up, I was ready to fight. She started with some questions. Has it ever occurred to you that God is wildly in love with you? Yes, it's occurred to me. Let's move on. Next question. Did you know that God is interested, is not just interested in having a friendship with you, but that he wants so much more? In my heart, I'm like, yes, I know that. I've got a bachelor's degree in this stuff. I'm working on my master's in this stuff. And that's been part of the problem. See, I've always dealt with God's love theologically. I've always dealt with God's love academically. I've always dealt with God's love cognitively. But here's the problem. You can't deal with God's love that way. You've got to deal with it intimately. You have to. I told people for years that God's love was a beautiful destination, but I'd never actually been there myself. And I couldn't go there because I didn't believe I could really trust him. And it was tearing me up because of how hypocritical I felt. I felt like I was standing at a gate telling people, you've got to see what's inside this gate. It's the most amazing thing. It'll change you forever. But it never, ever crossed the threshold myself. Kind of like Pastor Derek preached about a couple weeks ago about how crazy it would be to come to the gates of Disney, but never go inside. Heather kept pressing in. She started quoting verses and I did my best to brush them off. Song of Solomon chapter 8 says this, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy and is yielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters can't wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. She almost got me with that verse but I just brushed it off. I'll share something with you from experience. The more you brush it off, the more relentless God becomes. So we started to turn up the heat. The speaker started chipping away at my resolve by listing out the reasons why we just stand at a distance from God's love. One of her reasons is that we feel obligated to love God because that's just what good Christian people do. But after a while, that obligation gets old and dry and dusty. It becomes a tradition. We go to church not to meet with God, but because that's just what we do. 
She pointed out that, that sometimes we, we, we have a problem with God's love and we keep him at a distance because we turn everything into ownership and we try to own everything and, and that ownership of our stuff divides up our passion and, and then pretty soon we end up in a place where we think we're the only one that's actually doing any loving in the relationship. And she got really personal and she said the reason most of us refuse to be loved by God is because we've been offended. God didn't work the way we wanted him to. God didn't operate on the schedule that we assigned to him. God did something to me. So that means God is mean. God doesn't love me because if he did love me, life would be nice and easy and it isn't. So that means I'm offended and that means God, you stay over there and I'll stay right here and you just leave me alone. I'll let you know when I need something. Here's a truth that I'm learning. Don't build your theology around your disasters. Your circumstance does not reveal how much God loves you. And if you spend your life staring at your disasters and your disappointments, you're going to miss out on God's love entirely. Do we get that, church? When we get so fixated on that stuff that's a result of our broken world, we miss out on God's love entirely. That's what the Apostle Paul was begging us to get in Ephesians 3 when he said this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I've read that verse hundreds of times as a pastor, and this time it just reached out and grabbed me. God wrecked me with that verse because I had to acknowledge I'd been offended because I believed God didn't love me because I didn't get an answer to a prayer that I wanted and that belief led me to a place where I had stopped trusting him entirely. Heather got to the end of her talk and she said, it's time to come to the hay bales. I'm like, I'm not going. I was a mess. I just sat there thinking bad thoughts about the bales. I made a list in my mind of all of the reasons why I shouldn't go. One of the reasons was, is because, you know, what are people going to think about me? Here's the ironic thing. Nobody there knows who I am. <laughs> Not one single human being. They don't know what I do for a living. They don't care. It's just another dad and his daughter. So I battled and I fought. Just like you guys battle and fight sometimes. Yeah, I don't think we're all that different. I may have a microphone on weekends, but honestly, we're not different. And I know what it feels like to have God talking to you sometimes, and you just don't want to listen, and so you just put up all your defenses. I watch your body language when it happens. You know what's cool? This is a safe place for you to do that. It really is. So we get to the end. She invites us to come forward. I finally make my way to the front, and I fall to my knees, and I pour out my heart. I ask God to forgive me for judging his wisdom and his timing, for refusing his love, for keeping him at arm's length. I asked him to forgive me for fighting him, and for the first time in a very, very long time, I felt something that I have not felt, like a warm wave of water rushing over top of me. The love and the peace of God that just said, Welcome home. I soaked those hay bales. There was no allergy effect because everything was pouring out. Nothing was coming back in. If you get that picture, don't dwell on it too long, okay? And I'm up at the front 
and I feel a hand on my shoulder, and I think, oh, great, this is all I need. Some 19-year-old camp counselor that thinks I need Jesus, you know? I'm like, leave me alone. The person kneeling beside me was a testimony to how meticulous God is when he's trying to reinforce to you that you're loved. The hand belonged to a guy by the name of Rob. He's the program director at J.H. Ranch. And I found out in our prayer time that his wife has a very similar eye disease to the one that my wife has. Just like Laurel, his wife Edith has been told by doctors that she's going to go blind. He told me about his struggle to trust God with his wife. I told him about my struggle to trust God with me. And a couple of broken warriors at some hay bales in Northern California decided that we were going to grab who we were as dearly loved children of God. And we contended for miracles for our wives. And I can tell you something unequivocally today. I've said it before. I can actually say I believe it today. The doctors say that Laurel's condition will end in blindness. But I have chosen, based on the love of God, to stand on the diagnosis of Dr. Jesus, who says that she will be healed when we're good and ready for her to be healed. It is a tough place to get to. I've walked out of this last three years with one application for today. I know it's not spiritually deep, but here it comes. It's the only one you're going to get today. It's easier to trust someone when you know they love you. It's easier to trust someone when they know they love you. This little truth was put to the test two days later at JH Ranch when my daughter and I were on an elevated challenge high ropes course called the Odyssey. I've actually got a picture of it from one end. If the guys could fly that image for me, there it is, okay? You're 60 feet in the air. It's about 100 and some feet long. You can't even see the cables that you're going to walk across to get from one end to the other because they're so small you can't see them. It doesn't seem possible for you to be able to put your feet on them and get across that thing. And did I mention I don't like heights? I believe God created us for the ground, Even this makes me feel uncomfortable, okay? So we decide we're going to actually make our way across this crazy thing. This is another picture, just so you get some perspective. That's my knee, and that's the ground 60 feet below me. They say things like, you just need to trust your harness. I'm like, I want to trust the ground. God made that, okay? I'm kind of freaked out. To make it even worse, the fact I'm uncomfortable with heights, this is a picture of my daughter after she'd been through it. She didn't seem to be bugged by heights at all, you know? She's like a spider monkey. She just up to the top, zinging across the far end. You've got to be kidding me. I'm freaked out, to say the least. There's four challenges that take you across the Odyssey. We sailed through the first three like nothing. I'm like, I am home free. This is awesome. Our leader, whose name was Claire, She clips herself in with these lobster claw things and she's kind of hanging by the ropes and she says, you guys have flown through these things. I mean, you guys are flying. I'm thinking, this is awesome because I want to fly to the ground. That's what I want to do right in this moment. She says, you know, I think you guys are going so fast that you're missing some of the lessons. I'm like, I beg to differ with your opinion. I got all the lessons I need and now I want to get back on the ground again. She says, I think you actually need to take it up a notch. So here's what we're going to do. Fathers... We're going to blindfold you. 
And the only guidance you're going to get is going to come from the voices of your daughter. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? I'm going to put my, hand, my life into the hands of three girls, because there were three dads and three daughters, and their you know, cumulative age is less than 45. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She's like, put your blindfold on. I'm like, yes, ma'am, you know? So we start stringing ourselves out across this challenge course. I'm on a wire, and I'm blindfolded, and I can't see anything. This part of the challenge was to keep your feet on a wire with a red or with a white rope across your back. You had to lean out on a 45-degree angle and then pull yourself across with your arms. Here's what they didn't tell me. That rope stretches. So by the time I got it on the wire, I am completely horizontal. My toes on the cable, my back against the rope, and nothing underneath of me but 60 feet of air, you know? People are taking pictures. They're going, cheese, I'm going splat. You know, it's not good. Not good. And McKenna's there, and she's talking to me. And I'm asking all kinds of questions. She said she loved me at the airport. Does she still love me? I mean, if she doesn't, this is a great chance to get even right now. Scary. I'm asking, will she let me fall? Is she really sweet, or is she sadistic, you know? When she said she loved me, was I smart enough to say I love you back, or did I miss that moment? We find ourselves out on this challenge rope course from hell, okay? Rope at my back, cable at my feet. McKenna keeps talking to me, but the words aren't coming fast enough. We get halfway through it, and I finally get to a vertical steel cable that I can pull myself up off of the rope. We were only halfway done, but that was okay for me because I needed time for my pants to dry, okay? You get that one? All right, so... But I find myself blindfolded. I've got a steel cable in this hand, what seems like a hair cable underneath of my feet, and my hand is stretched out, and McKenna keeps saying, Dad, there's a, there's a rope six inches out, uh, just beyond your outstretched hand. Six inches. But I start doing the math in my head. In order to get a hold of that rope, I've got to let go of that cable, and that's not happening. <laughs> and she kept saying, Daddy, seriously... There's a rope. It's just six inches out. You just kind of let go of this one and grab a hold of that one. You'd be fine. I promise you the rope is there. I'm questioning. Could I really believe her? Was her judgment off by four or five inches? That would matter. I mean, I know her character. She's not a liar. But I'm asking, is she lying? And we believe lies all the time, don't we? Maybe some of you have heard this lie. If you fully trust God, something bad's going to happen. If you let go and give God control, total control of your life, he's going to send you to the other side of the world, and you're going to spend the rest of your life in a hut. We all hear the lies of the enemy all the time. One of his favorite ones is God says he loves you, but he doesn't really. Don't trust him. McKenna kept telling me, Dad, either rope's right there. Just grab it. 
I promise you it's right there. While she was talking, God was talking to Grant, my love, it's just right there. You can trust me. I won't let you fall. Just let me love you once and for all. Let go of that. Grab a hold of something new. So let go of the rope. Let go of my struggle with God. Grab the rope. Made it to safety. I've never been so relieved. But it was, it was infinitesimal in the, in the amount that, of how it felt to grab God's love and finally walk into a place that I pointed so many of you to but had never fully experienced for myself. It was exhilarating. It was exhausting. It was joyful. It was absolutely beautiful. And it led me to one conclusion. I want to share with you the most profound theological idea that I have run across in 44 years. I don't believe there is anything more profound than what I'm about to say. And I want to tell you, it did not come from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It did not come from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's lectures to my students. It did not come from the compilation of sermons that I have compiled by the great Billy Graham. This is the most profound theological statement I've encountered in my whole entire life. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him belong. We're all weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah, Jesus loves me. Yeah, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The most profound theology of Christ the King is not preached in this room. It's sung down these hallways by three, four, and five-year-olds because that's the first song we teach them. It's tragic that as adults, we forget it. So what's the bottom line? What's the takeaway? For a Monday morning, you could just go, Ah, oh, Grant, yeah, I had a nice message about God's love. That's awesome. I'm glad he finally figured something out. <laughs> Here's your takeaway. I need to live like I'm loved, and so do you. Because if you love him, you will trust him in everything. Some of you last week learned another lesson. You've been trusting Wall Street. How'd that work for you? Not so good, huh? When are we ever going to learn about eternal investments? Investments that last for eternity, not just this lifetime. If you fully trust God, he promised he would take care of all of your needs. We need to live like we're loved. I think that would set a very, very different course for the rest of our lives. So we're going to pray. We're not near done. Don't disappear on me. Because we still are going to take an opportunity to respond after we pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Nobody's moving around and every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's have a little hay bale moment right here at Christ the King. Let's have an honest moment. If you've ever struggled with the idea that God could really love you, 
If you're like me, would you just slip your hand up in here? If you've ever had a hard time with that question, yeah, boy, all over. Thank you for being honest. My prayer is that you understand today that God is crazy, wild, stupid in love with you as his child. And there's nothing you could do that would make him love you less. So we're going to pray and ask God to overwhelm us with his love again. If you're here today and have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is the first step in letting God love you. So if you feel led, would you just pray this prayer along with me in your heart? Jesus, would you forgive me for pressing you away, keeping you at arm's length? And you forgive me for all of the excuses and the escape clauses that I've used that have convinced me that, that you couldn't possibly love me. And God, would you forgive me for the fact that not believing you love me has gotten me to a place where the truth is I just don't trust you. Lord, would you forgive me of those sins and all of the other sins I've ever committed? Would you wash me as white as snow in your love, your grace, and your mercy? Would you wrap me up tight even when I struggle? Would you allow my life song to be, Jesus loves me, this I know. God, when I don't feel very lovable, would you help me to go to your word and be convinced once again that you have an individual, intimate love for each one of us. I accept you as my loving Lord and my loving Savior. I give my heart fully to you and I ask that you would give me the grace and the courage to live the rest of my life like I'm loved. And may all the good that would ever come out of me bring honor and glory to your loving name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, and you're experiencing God's love for the first time, I'd so love to pray for you this week. So if that's you, would you just slip your hand up in the air so that I can see it? God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you. God bless you and you. God bless you. I can see to the back of the room. God bless you, young man. God bless you. God bless you too. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your amazing love. How can it be that you, our king, would die for me? We thank you for the cross, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for an opportunity to experience new and fresh this morning. And all of God's people said,